Good afternoon, M Resort. This is. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can... All right, wait. Let me try that again. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for July 19th, 2011. Uh, The Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. This is the best podcast you will hear all day, guaranteed, or your money back. I'm I'm sticking with that shtick. It's going to be in every show. (laughs) Let me go around the virtual table and introduce the guys. We have Mr. Jeff Simpson, the author of the Simpson on Vegas column on Two Way Hard 3. Welcome, Jeff. Uh, thank you, Hunter. I want to say that I'm going to predict that uh, Anthony Marnell III will be a fantastic interview. That's a strong prediction. Uh, Chuck Monster, head stickman at VegasTripping.com. What's happening, Chuck? I am going to put Jeff Simpson in jail for past posting. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Dave Schwartz, head uh, director of UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Hey, Dave, welcome. Hey, I think I've got a new hero in Vegas nightlife in Anthony Marnell III. <laughs> uh, my name is uh, Hunter Hillegas, and um, just one quick announcement. The Vegas Internet Mafia Family Picnic is going to be October 22nd, and uh, you can stay tuned to VegasInternetMafia.com for more info. We hope to have some more announcements on that front soon. Um, but just to get right into it, today we're very lucky to have a special guest Mr. Anthony Marnell, who is the president of the M Resort in Las Vegas. Welcome, Anthony. I'm happy to be here. Uh, just to get started, am I correct that you are a Las Vegas native? I am, yes. <laughs> not, not, a, not a ton of those around, but uh, so you've, you've been here for, throughout. Um, yeah, no, we're a rare breed. <laughs> and you've got, you've got a, a lot of family background in the business and in sort of associated businesses, and I'm hoping we can talk a little bit about some of that stuff. Um, Happy to. One one question is about the gig that I think you were in before the M project started up, which was uh, a software firm. Um, I think it, it was a Tririga. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, that's correct. So as part of that interim period between the, the Rio and M, uh, I believe you were founder in that company and, and has since been acquired by IBM. I'm a little bit of a, a software nerd, and so I was just curious about if you could tell our audience what that company does and um, you know what your time there was like. Sure. Um, what happened was I, I had decided to leave the Rio after the year uh, transition period that I had agreed to with Harris and went off and started another company, uh, which I was the majority uh, shareholder, chairman, and CEO of called Tririga, and the goal of that company was enterprise um, workplace management for very large uh, Fortune 500 government, uh, federal, state, and uh, city-type agencies. And what we did in a nutshell was to try to help large entities such as uh, you know, General Electric, FBI, the White House, the Pentagon, who are all big customers, help them get a, a, a handle on all of their people, places, and things. So all of their buildings, their real estate, their assets within there, uh, all the people where the people were located. And we developed that company from scratch, uh, literally from with two employees up to uh, when it sold, it was over the 200 mark. 
uh, revenues were were well, I can't actually disclose that, but they were <laughs> they were large. Um, you know, it, it was a ten year it was a ten year period. It was started during the dot com boom, uh, and much like you know the M started during the casino a big casino boom, and then we dealt with nine eleven, we dealt with the tech bubble crash, uh, and then we dealt with you know the second uh this is this you know great recession uh but the company did fairly well through all of that it actually bought a product out of bankruptcy at one time uh from a company called peregrine systems and kept developing itself and then it has started to evolve into energy management uh carbon management and things to help these large corporations and when i say large we're talking about companies that maybe have 12,000, 14,000 buildings across the globe. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, the Nokias and, again, the State Department. Right. Lots of big entities. So we, we help them get a grip on all of that stuff, understand it, manage it, and reduce their overall cost. And that was a company um, that eventually became very attractive to somebody like IBM. So it sounds like, given that experience and having to live through some of those major market shifts that you were uh, discussing a minute ago, in some ways, was that good training for what happened with the casino industry in you know 2007 up till now? I don't know if anything can train us for tra- train us for what we what we hit you know in 2007. Um, I'm certainly used to having balance sheet responsibility and cash responsibility, cash flow responsibility as you know running these different companies. Uh, where a lot of the properties, the way we run now, we don't have that responsibility that sits with Penn. Um, you know, the biggest thing that, that it, yeah, it teaches you how to, how to get lean when you have to get lean and, you know, there is no more money and there is no more tomorrow. You've got to make what you've got work or you're not going to make it. And we went through that with that company a couple of different times in its early phases and had to deal with some pretty, you know, pretty big, uh, reductions and hard decisions to keep that company going through those tough times, but we made it through it and, you know, and saw a brighter day. Yeah. Um, At this point, you know, how that translated into the M. Yeah, we did draw on a lot of those experiences to keep the the operation positive the whole time we went through that. Um, But we just weren't able to handle the balance sheet, you know, the debt load that we had. We got caught at the wrong time with too much and we didn't have, you know, we didn't have the alternatives that we had there with that company. Well, I have, a, I have a lot of questions about the M stuff, but I want to go sure. back again for a minute before we get to that and talk a little bit about the construction business. Um, you know, I, your, your family's uh, construction industry experience, if you look at the high-rise buildings all over the Las Vegas Strip, you know, they're responsible for building some of the most famous landmarks, the Mirage, New York, New York, Treasure Island, Bellagio, Wynn, uh, and of course, Rio and M. Um, what, what is that like growing up? in that and being a part of that as you're, uh, you know, maturing and going through school and working. And I mean, that must've been a pretty amazing time to, to experience. I think when, when, when dad actually really got that business going, I, I don't think I was old enough to really understand, you know, I've worked, I worked for my father at a very young age. I went to work for him at eight, uh, as a laborer on the desert Inn spa remodel, which is where the wind sits now, um, with a shovel <laughs> and the trash can picking up, you know, trash on the job site and, and digging. And, you know, that was really my knowledge of that industry uh, up until the time I was 16. Um, the last job I think I worked on was the Treasure Island Tower, pouring concrete for him. Uh, and then I left and went off to school, uh, pursued a baseball career for a little bit, and came back to UNLV 
to finish my education and at that time went to work at the Rio and that was where I think I really started to make the connection on you know a lot of the work that he had done and the the amazing accomplishments that he had had uh, had done over his career in this town as far as all the things that you just mentioned yeah but that was really the tie-in point was finishing my education in hospitality at the same time working in hospitality you know, at the Rio, doing all the different jobs in the hotel and getting to obviously have your father as somebody who has that experience and that knowledge and to be with to be with him every day, you know, offered, I think, a lot of, you know, amazing insight as to, you know, how to run a company and how to grow a business and how the casino businesses actually work, what works, what doesn't. Uh-huh. Um, and it was, you know, it's something that, you know, it's a, it's an experience that's invaluable. I think you mentioned the Rio and, you know, for, for the listeners that aren't aware, your, your father developed that property. Uh, you worked at that property. Um, and of course it was eventually sold to Harris and they've been running it for quite some time. I I'm, I'm curious. Um, do you ever, do you ever go back there? Uh, any, any opinions on how things have progressed? Uh, there's, there's definitely some Monday morning quarterbacking, uh, with folks regarding the Rio and Harris saying there's a sort of a term that is called herifying where, where Harris will, you know, change a property they acquire to sort of match their view of the world. And um, I know that some Rio customers that were very attached to the property maybe didn't see the, didn't see it through the same lens after Harris had taken over. I'm just curious, you know, something that you was so close to you that you were um, so integral in working. How do you feel about it now? Well, I think that's a, that's a loaded question, but let me, (laughs) let me break it down. Let me break it down in a couple of, a couple of viewpoints. I mean, I think, I think Harris bought the Rio originally to be, when they bought it, they saw it as a really nice mid-market to upscale market flagship Vegas property that talked to people that they didn't necessarily talk to. And it gave them the opportunity um, to integrate a very good business into their company. And I think that as time went on, their motives, if you look after that 1999, January 1, when they, when they actually bought the property, a lot of things changed. You know, you went through the recession. I'm sorry, you went through the, the dot-com burst. You went through 9-11. They went through some major acquisitions, uh, you know, buying Caesars uh, and some other properties. And I think the Rio kind of shifted as this marquee focal point for them in Vegas, and all of that effort shifted over to Caesars Palace. Right. And some of those assets that they had picked up, Bally's, Paris, and a lot more uh, what I call strip concentrated properties. Mm -hmm. And I think that at that point, the Rio was no longer the flagship. The Rio became, let's call it the second tier property. And so I think it got the attention in a big corporation that the second tier property starts to get. Makes sense. And I don't think I, I don't think you could fault their business model because until the, the great recession, their model you know, was rocky out of the gate at that property, but over time, they did very, very well with that property. Um, the first 24 months were tough, um, and I think that they had maybe bought something that wasn't really what they knew the casino business to be. It was a different place. It was right. run by an entrepreneur. It had a vibe. It had, it had a lot of hands-on, family-oriented type stuff, not big corporation mentality, and 
the two didn't jive well together, um, not confrontationally, they just don't fit. And right. so over time they said, we've got to make this what we know how to do. And when they did that and they stuck to it, there was a lot of customers that were disenfranchised, which is what you hear. But what I don't think you hear to their credit is all the customers who were really liking that property mm-hmm. and started coming to that property that weren't there before. Right. And, you know, they substantially improved the EBITDA. Um, I think when the Marnell family left that property, it was in the $105 million range. The property suffered for two years. It dropped dramatically. And then in year three, four, five, the, uh, from what I can recall, that property was in the 140, 150, 160 range. So granted, you know, it was the greatest time in the casino business and all boats rise in that tide, but they did do well with it. And now to, to finish the, the, the answer to your question, I have been back there about, I want to say five or six months ago. And, you know, the property is in dire need of some attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't really think that that's real specific. I think a lot of properties in Las Vegas right now are stuff are suffering from capital constraints, heavy debt loads, and all the money going to debt service and very little money is going into the actual physical assets. So the Rio and many, many other properties and many other corporations are not getting the attention they need to keep them, you know, classy properties. Right. And they're starting to they're starting to slip. We've I mean we've definitely seen these companies cut their capex quite a bit. But you know, yesterday we we saw Win did their second quarter call, and it sounded like they were reporting some pretty solid results. Um, do you think that we'll see this turnaround in the near future? You know, there are some very good signs out there that outside of Las Vegas, we are seeing, you know, some very positive signs, you know, coming from outside the state. So I don't know if it's a trend yet. I'm certainly not ready to say that, but I can say that I do see some of the same positive results that some of the the other companies are reporting. And you are seeing some lift in occupancy rate, uh, you know, number of visitors, um, spend per visit, you know, from everything outside the state looks like it's going the right way. Um, gaming, especially in Las Vegas, seems to be dominated by some very distinct personalities. We've got your, your Steve Wynn, you know, Sheldon Adelson, the Maloofs, the Fertitas, your family. I, I'm curious, you know, the last few years have been, there's been a lot of upheaval. Uh, everyone that I mentioned is still in the industry, but you know, in many cases, the equity balance has shifted. What has it been like living these past few years being in your job? Well, it's been, you know, I can say there's some days that have been, this is the worst job in the world. And there's other days where I think it's the best job in the world. You know, the worst job in the world is having to go through what a lot of us have had to go through, uh, you know, that's just not any fun for anybody, no matter who you are. Uh, and a lot of us, it appears, you know, we made the wrong decisions at the wrong time and we're having to live with those. Uh, on the reverse side, it's been an unbelievable challenge to, you know, our leadership capabilities to be able to come here and try to motivate a, a great set of team members and get them to deliver on the expectations that you're trying to create for your brand and keep those brands alive and keep uh, those brands competitive and and keep people motivated. And there's a lot more challenges in the workplace now than there was, uh, you know, back in the heyday. 
So there's a lot of dynamics that we're dealing with on a daily basis that have to do with our team members and their families and their issues that weren't really here, you know, in the good times. Mm -hmm. And that, that's been a challenge. Um, but it's been a challenge to, I'd say there's some reward to actually working your way through it and making it productive and trying to help people out and actually accomplishing, you know, the goals that you set for your company, uh, as you're working your way through this. Uh, and, you know, the business is much more competitive now than it's ever been, especially in Las Vegas. Las, Las Vegas is starting to take on a lot of hints of Atlantic City. Mm. Uh, it's very, very competitive. It's very heavily discounted. Uh, you know, its buildings are going to start to suffer from the lack of CapEx. And, you know, there's a lot of things in front of us that I don't think have played themselves all the way out yet that are still in, in some cases could be five years away from seeing how these eventual outcomes are going to come out. You mentioned Atlantic City. Uh, how closely do you watch that market? I mean, from our perspective, we've discussed it quite a bit, and it really seems like they are in a very tough spot that doesn't seem to be getting any better in any kind of reasonable time frame. Does Las Vegas, uh, you know, is, is there danger that it will sort of uh, run into a sinkhole like they've hit out there? I, I wouldn't go that far yet. I think there's some some things that are hitting us. You know, we have already kind of faced the competition, you know, the emerging competition out of the California casinos where it seems like Atlantic City is constantly facing a new market. <laughs> you know, right. one market opens, then it gets racing, then it gets slots, then it gets live table games. And the the market seems like it's been under pressure for a very long time, both from new product within Atlantic City, but a lot of new product on the East Coast as gaming continues to get added in all of it. What were once, it's all its major feeder markets. And as time's gone on, there hasn't been the ability over a lengthy period of time to invest capital into all those assets. I mean, they've gone through bankruptcies a number of times, restructured a number of times, and never been the capital to put into the buildings. And I see, I'm concerned for Las Vegas in the long term from that perspective, uh, because there's not enough capital to go into these buildings to keep Las Vegas a true, gorgeous, you know, vacation destination that it's uh, that it's been. I mean, if you look at the town six years ago, you couldn't walk into one of these buildings. There's very few that weren't very well kept, right. very well capitalized. Everything was new. You know, the slot machine chairs matched. The bases all looked <laughs> like they were, you know, they looked like they were done right. Right. You walk into you walk into tier one, tier two casinos now, and you just kind of look at it and go, "Oh my God, what have we?" And we become now the hand-me-down. <laughs> you know, the buildings aren't as well kept. Um, you know, the uniforms aren't as tight on the team members. You know, <laughs> they got holes in them. You know, it, you know, the hats are worn out. The floors are the floors are dirty. <laughs> Um, you know, they got slot machine bases that are brown in one corner. They're white in another. There's a different slot chair next to a, another chair. It's, it's like, really, guys? I mean, we've really lost the ability to keep that continuity in a number of these places. Um, and I'm concerned, yes, over the long term that Vegas won't keep its luster that it had a while ago. Um, let's talk about M. Because there's a lot of, I'm sure, a lot of uh, interesting stuff we can delve into. And actually, I was lucky enough to be there on the opening night for your for your party, and uh, it seemed like everyone was having such a good, great time. And I'm wondering what it's like to be an operator on that first night when you start, you know, meeting your your guests and then the public uh, to experience what you built. What is that experience like? Well, for me. Um... It, it's it's a, it was a very very rewarding day, you know, to actually 
start with the first acre of property, you know, find a site that you think will work, you know, go through all of that pre-development discussion um, and, you know, studies and zoning and then come up with a concept. And then the real cool part about it was to actually work with my father in a different capacity. You know, we, he had always, uh, I had always worked for him or with him. And in this, the tables were kind of turned. He Mm -hmm. didn't own any of the hotel, but actually, you know, he worked for me in in designing this and laying it out. And I won't say he worked for me in that respect because I never look at him that way. Um, I have so much respect for him, but it was very rewarding that, and I'll never forget standing on top of the hotel right before we open. And I never expected to see that kind of response for people that wanted to see the hotel. You know, the I-15 was solid lights for as far as we could see to Mandalay Bay. I mean, it was eight miles of gridlock and Las Vegas Boulevard was the same way. St. Rose all the way to Eastern was the same way. And you could see people from the top of the hotel were actually parking their cars on the side because they couldn't get in, and they were walking through the desert to the hotel. Right. right. And it was it was it was cool. It was like wow, you know, we we really built something that sounds like people really want to see. Um, and that was exciting. It was it was really rewarding, you know. And then the next day, you know, the work starts. I mean, the work the work had started, and but now it really started. <laughs> right. But it was it was a lot of fun. When you opened the property, you guys had some interesting twists on a couple of traditional amenities. I remember I, you had a pharmacy at uh, at opening, and I, I believe that's no longer there. Was did that did that concept not work? What happened with that? The, the The concept was really just a convenience factor for seniors. We knew that our our age demographic was going to be you know very close to a senior's age, and and that and it is today that it was really trying to provide convenience for them and what happened to us which we didn't really see coming was that the mail the mail basically the mail order drug process for people who are on repetitive prescriptions um, is what is what killed not our pharmacy but it's killed a lot of pharmacies there's just a lot of pharmacies in the area that are no longer open uh, due to the fact that people order them online and you know get them three months in advance shipped directly to their home so there's no reason anymore to go to the pharmacy Uh and that was what happened um, so didn't make sense, and we we closed it. No, that makes sense. I just I think I just think it's interesting that it was dreamt up in in the first place, and I I don't remember. I mean, I, I think you've got a fair amount of press on that, just because I, if I recall, it was a fairly novel uh, addition, and uh, it's just interesting to see somebody sort of break the fairly established mold of what a casino's ingredients are to add something new or to try something different. Um, yeah, we, you know, we tried that, you know, my dad was known for a lot of that as well. We tried a lot of new things and some of them worked and, you know, some of them didn't. Right. L- let's say that I'm a potential guest and I'm looking for a, a place to stay and maybe I stay on the strip, but uh, this time I'm willing to try something different. So I'm looking at Red Rock. I'm looking at maybe even downtown. I'm looking at M. Why would I pick M Resort instead of uh, one of your competitors? Well, I think the biggest value that we've tried to introduce to the hotel, and I think we've been successful with that, is service. Uh, trying to have great service, and we get we get constant feedback. We're not perfect, but I think we're far above uh, many of the people we compete with with a service culture. You know, this building is clean. Um, it's been clean since day one, and it'll be very clean as long as I'm here. Uh, and we 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 have an advantage of competing with an asset that is very well kept and new and not run down. 
Uh, I think we have a great culinary experience here and for much better value than what you can find on the strip. I think you can get a lot of the same or better products here for better price value. Uh, and I think, you know, when you really dive into the rewards programs that you get in a, basically a slot club, I, 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 I challenge for anybody to find one that's better, both with our direct mail programs and what we give back to the customer and what we give on the device on the floor. You know, our, our downsides are we don't have all the amenities as far as shows and clubs, uh, and we're not necessarily in proximity to other things that you may want to go see. But if you're a destination seeker who wants to, you know, we kind of call it our Scottsdale in the middle of Las Vegas, hmm. you know, and that's what we think we have. We have a, a, a kind of an oasis resort seven miles off the strip. It's fairly easy to get to the strip. It's 10 minutes away on the I-15 if you want to do that for one night. But if you want a boutique hotel experience with a lot of the same amenities at a better value with better service, we think that's where we compete. The the process so so the resort opened and cl- clearly into a very tough economy and a con- economy that continued to experience a significant disruption and eventually um, there was an auction process with uh, the lenders and and Penn ended up uh, purchasing purchasing that debt and and uh, I believe converting it to equity and t- basically taking over ownership of the property. What was it like? to live through that process, given that you had clearly invested uh, a lot of, you know, for lack of a better word, your soul into building this place. I mean, it was clearly something that, um, that you uh, were very attached to. What was that process like? Well, it certainly wasn't the outcome that I thought was going to happen. I mean, when I started the project, uh, once the process started, you know, it, it happened over a lengthy period of time. There were a number of, there were a number of deals and agreements and we think we're close type of concepts that had occurred long before the auction process started where we thought the property was going to be restructured and then the motives of the bank and the bank's requirements continually changed. So the deal continually changed on the restructuring side and eventually it found itself into the auction process. Once that happened, uh, you know, being a realist, you looked at it and said, it's highly likely that we're going to lose this property um, or we're going to be partnered with somebody new going forward where MGM was our partner before we could very well have a new partner going forward. And we had had dialogue with a number of the people that were in the auction process, including Penn. Uh, I wouldn't say it was contentious with any of the people who were in the process. Um, I won't name them all, but there was a lot of of dialogue during that process with the potential suitors of the building. Um, when the day actually happened, uh, you know, it wasn't a good day. I'll be honest. It was a tough, I'd say it was a tough 72 hours, maybe four or five days. It was very, very hard for me. Uh, my wife was a huge support for me. Uh, and the best thing that happened was it just had a little time to set in. And after it set in, you know, the Penn people, uh, Peter Carlino and Tim especially, uh, were unbelievably gracious. Uh, they came here fairly quickly to sit down and have, have a discussion with me. And, and you know, Peter was great, and so was Tim. They said, you know, what happened here is not your fault. Uh, you know, maybe you picked the wrong time to do what you did, but we think what you've done with the property, you've done really well, you know, and it looks like the property continues to show dramatic improvements, of which it was. And they said, look, we'd like, you know, 
we're not we don't have any preconceived notions of what this has to be so let's talk about what your thoughts are what you want to do and where you want to go and what you think the building should do and what you know what things you think you need to do going forward and we were very very quickly came to you know an agreement of what my investment would look like from an equity perspective in the building of which we are very very close to finalizing that once once I had their word that, that that was the deal, what we did is we moved forward for licensing quickly and we put the investment agreement for me on the back burner uh, because we didn't want that to stop the licensing process because I have to go through the licensing again. Huh. So we're, we're very close to finishing that and then we'll file with gaming again for my uh, equity stake here in, in the actual property. And, you know, and looking back on it now, um, Based on going through what I had to go through, I don't think it could have come out in a better spot. Uh, and I didn't really feel that way at the time, but I can tell you I certainly feel that way now. They're, they're, they're the best capitalized company that was in the process. They've been unbelievably uh, you know, gracious to us and, and how we operate and the four-star service and the things that we do, uh, they've embraced. It's not like the Harris model where they've said, you know, it's the Harrow's way or the highway. Mm -hmm. uh, they want they want whatever way makes the most amount of money at the property. Uh, we have alignment on what they want me to do. I, uh, they've given me the day and day day to day responsibility on just about everything in the building to operate. There are very you know few things that that I pass up to them. Uh, you know we're we're in constant communication and we're aligned. And so far it's been great. They've got a great you know a great database. They don't have a Vegas property to send those customers. So I'm not competing with another property in town. And, you know, it's, it's worked out, you know, given the circumstances, it's worked out really well. It, it sounds like, I mean, going into that process, I remember in the months leading up to them making those bids, there were countless rumors about them um, looking for a way into the Vegas market. And that was in that era where every other week it seemed like there were rumors about MGM selling off one of their properties or, and, um, and, and Penn seemed to clearly want to be able to find an entree into the market. And, and they did so with M resort, but there's, you know, a lot of less regular Las Vegas customers don't really know Penn that well. They don't have exposure to them, uh, as they, you know, might have in some other markets. Um, what can you tell? What's Penn like as a company? Have you visited any of their of their other properties? Um, do you expect we'll see more Penn properties in Las Vegas? You know, I don't really have any comment on any of that. That's not my that's not my my realm or my knowledge of those plans. Um, you know, those are questions that are probably better suited for them. Um, I mean, obviously, they wanted to get in Las Vegas, otherwise they wouldn't have bought this hotel. Uh, but I don't really have any any insight that I can share, uh, you know, publicly on what their future plans are. Fair enough. Um, with M and your, you know, day to day looking at uh, putting out fires and the things that go with running a property, I'm sure you're also spending time thinking about sort of the larger picture. What do you see as the biggest challenge the property faces, uh, and how how significant is sort of there's just the state of the locals market in that um, as far as people leaving town, people not moving into town, the dynamics have obviously changed quite a bit since the original resort planning process. Uh, what, what were, when you, what keeps you up at night when you're worried about stuff happening with the property? 
Well, I think my number one concern is what's happening with all of the Nevada economy. Um, you know, the northern Nevada economy is not any, in any better shape than southern Nevada. Uh, and both of them seem to continue to show signs of struggle. There are some, I think, indicators that look positive. You know, a couple months in a row, we might see a taxable sales increase or you know, we might see uh, gaming revenue increase, but it doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem like we can hold locally a steady increase, you know, to our revenue streams. And, you know, the price of the homes keeps going down, which eventually that's going to be a positive because it's going to get so low. I think it's going to cause a lot of, um, you know, seniors or snowbirds that Mm -hmm. migrate to Las Vegas in their retirement, you know, those price points are going to start to hit a very attractive spot. Uh, I'm concerned that I don't think we really know how many homes are really in foreclosure. I don't think the banks have fully released them all yet. Uh, I'm concerned about declining growth as far as people moving out. More people are moving out than people are moving in. Uh, I think that we're going to we're missing we're missing a big part of the job economy, especially in Southern Nevada. I think we will see some job growth from the hospitality industry as things improve, but I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to be a game changer. I think it's going to be minimal. Uh, the big piece that's missing, are the, and this is a piece I think I know fairly well, is the construction jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, We've lost all the major construction jobs. We've lost all the commercial retail construction jobs. We've lost all the home construction jobs. And we've lost all of the small businesses that supported all of those construction jobs, all of the people that made the little pieces and parts that go into community development strip retail mall development and hotel casino minor or major you know project development uh so you know i think they've estimated at 75,000 construction jobs i think it's a little bit higher than that and i don't see that particular portion of our economy returning anytime soon which is what really drives our local economy and there's no there's really no incentive like there was in the past to see a you know, a uh, a family, uh, a working family with a child or two child children to move to Las Vegas because there's not the ability to get both parents employed like there used to be. So while we have an attractive home price, we have a very weak job market. Right. And and I think so. What that says to me is that attractive home price is going to drive more of the fixed income retire baby boomer retiring market, and that's who's going to start to fill up the home inventory versus the, you know, working family, more, a little bit more disposable income group. And, but I, those are my guesses. I'm not saying I'm right. And I don't think that we're really going to know for another, at least 18, 24, maybe 36 months, Mm -hmm. how this, how this will play all the way out. But that's what keeps me awake at night. I have a lot of concern, uh, about the the local Las Vegas economy and how it will recover and what it will become because it's clear that the building boom is over what's the next thing that's going to drive this town because the building boom has basically driven this town for 50 years straight right and and that's not here anymore so we really don't have a replacement for that on the job market side at least not as of yet I'm um, um oh go ahead Jeff yeah go ahead mi- would you mind um Anthony um I wanted to ask you, uh, first of all, um, your situation was very similar to, uh, although at a much more compact time scale than uh, the Maloof family had with the Palms. And uh, 
he said publicly that um, he comes out of that deal with Apollo and Leonard Green um, with a 2% equity stake, but options to buy up to, uh, you know, 10 or 20%. Um, is that similar to what you're expecting to do with, uh, with Penn? No, my deal works differently. Uh, and I'm, it'll all, I, I think it's better for me to probably comment on that when it's fully disclosed as a public company, they will disclose sure. my investment agreement, uh, when, when we're finished and we're not finished yet. Um, but at a high level, what they haven't done is incentivized me, which I'm obviously incentivized by with or without them. You know, the more money the property makes, the more money that I make. Um, and it's a fairly substantial investment from me uh, into the actual property, meaning Las Vegas Gaming Ventures LLC. And it basically works as a function of EBITDA. And, you know, the longer that I'm here and the more money that I make them, then the more money I can make. And I can't, okay. I can't really give you the specific percentages of how it works um, until it's time to disclose that. And then it'll be but, pretty but public. But you, you still will have an entrepreneurial type interest in the property rather than, mere, oh, yes. rather than merely a managerial interest. Yeah, it, it, um, it's, a, it's a substantial it's a substantial interest for, from my perspective. It's a substantial investment, a new investment into the corporation and an interest, yes. One of the things that um, we talk about a lot, um, the, uh, the folks who are on this uh, Vegas Gang podcast and um, some of their websites, and you know, we have talked for a while about some of the deteriorating conditions um, of properties, both on the Strip and in locals' market in the locals market and you you um mentioned that pretty strongly earlier and one of the things i was you know it seems like should be a competitive advantage for a property that's uh, barely two years old um you know you should have um a advantage competing against whether it's whether it's you know drive-in tourists from california whether whether it's your locals customer you have a property that's still um, looks really good, um, probably doesn't need as much CapEx, um, although you said publicly that Penn has been very good about that, but um, your property is still pretty darn new. Um, how does that play out for you? How does that work in terms of um, the locals market, the tourist market? How can you parlay that into getting whether it's better room rates, getting more play out of people, getting people to come to your place instead of, you know, Green Valley or South Point or Silverton or the other casino choices that people have in your neck of the woods? Well, I think we parlay it into people that care about it. You know, there's certainly a group of consumers out there that don't really care what kind of roof they play under. Um, as evident by some of the properties that are still open and you can walk in there and there's still patrons there. You know, I wouldn't walk in and, and spend my gaming dollar in some of those places just because yeah, I can't, I can't breathe in there, <laughs> you know, or, or it's, it's just so filthy that it's not attractive to, to me, but that doesn't mean that it's not attractive to a certain segment of the market. Um, so I think there are clearly people who like this type of resort. It's, it's, super high quality architecture, how well it's kept its cleanliness and how it smells along with 
you know, a lot of great people that have a great service attitude and a friendly smile and really try to go the extra mile. So we try to take that and use that to our advantage for people who are really seeking that experience. And I think that that's what, what we've been good at growing over a period of time. And it, and it, and it appears to be a very big driver of our growth, not only, not only locally, but, but from the people out of town who come here and want to come back because the experience was good. Uh, the, the convention business that we get, we have a lot of repeat convention business now that started two years ago and we're seeing those bookings just increase. We're getting more business instead of getting one event a year. Now we get two or we get three and they really, really like, you know, how they're treated and how that works. And so we, we are parlaying that as you, as you called it, you know, into people who care about it. That's what we're pushing. Great. Thank you. Um, Regarding other properties, other than M, of course, do you have any favorite properties that you visit, whether, you know, for maybe personal entertainment, just to hang out, see what they're doing? Any properties you particularly admire in town? You know, I've always, I've always liked, uh, you know, Steve's properties. He's always built great properties. I've always loved the Bellagio. I like the Wynn. Um, but to be honest with you guys, I don't get out much. <laughs> um, you know, I try to, I try to work, you know, work as hard as I can here. And then I spend, you know, I spend almost every available moment I've got outside of work with my family, uh, my wife, and I've got three kids, mm-hmm. um, and I'm doing a lot of baseball games and dances and recitals and football games. And that's where <laughs> I spend my time. Um, my, my, my wife, my wife and I do, and I, and I think I've said this publicly before we do to get away from the M we do run down to South point at Michael's. I love to go to uh, his restaurant, Michael's there. Mm-hmm. It's always, always been one of my favorites, even when it was at the Barbary coast. Right. And now that it's down here, I, I think it's great because it's closer to where we live and, you know, when when her and I are going to have a date night, that's usually where we go. It's funny. Um, I don't I don't know if they still do this, but I remember going there with a female business colleague years ago when it was at Barbary Coast, and we sat down and we got the menus, and she was looking at me funny. She said, "There's no prices on these menus," and of course, <laughs> yeah. the, the 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 menus that they gave to the women didn't include prices, which I thought was um, was uh, pretty funny. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a classy place. It's so old school, fine dining Vegas. It's the same, you know, it's the same Mater D and the same guys that have been there forever. Uh, you know, and they have a great acumen there for, for great service. And you walk in and, you know, everybody knows your name and they're fun and they're, and they're nice. And it's just a great time. And we like, you know, I hate to give Michael kudos, but I think he's got a great restaurant there, and, and uh, I think he does a great job with it, and it's it's definitely one of my favorite spots. Anthony, one of the things that we've talked about a lot, and you know, I'm not sure how busy your nightlife um, business is at the M, so maybe you could mention that a little bit, but one of the things that we've talked about recently with the explosion of the daylife business. Um, and it seems so popular around town. And I do know that you have made some, uh, efforts in that area. And one of the things that I wonder about, um, and particularly at locals casinos that have, um, probably a slightly older demographic than, um, some of the strip properties, but, you know, I think this really applies to every, every nice place, um, that, 
has a, that's going to have um, you know a fairly decent number of older customers. And I wonder about the mix with the day life customers. Is there friction? Is there some kind of strange interaction where you have you know people you know you know cruising in barely dressed uh, you know going to do those kind of activities, the day life activities. Um, a very younger, you know, a younger partying, drinking demographic with, you know, the people who are playing slots, the people going out to your nicer restaurants. Now, there is obviously there's a time differential um, in some ways, but but is that something that you think of as as a possible problem or no problem at all or a problem for other places but not yours? I just I just wonder what you think of that. I mean, we certainly. You know, and I think at least some of us think that it has the potential to be a problem at some of the some of the places in Las Vegas. You know, I do think it's a problem, and I you know I don't think there's real I don't think there's friction. I think they just they hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> they call it call it straight out. I mean, they they're 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 neither one of them have anything in kind or any similarities to the other. Uh, and yeah, we have we have tinkered with the day the day life as you called it um and i think this year we've we've finally got it figured out on how to accommodate that day life crowd uh local and a little bit of non-local at our pool during the day and on the weekends we're doing very well with that business and we the way the hotel is physically laid out it you know we i don't think it was planned this way but it actually works out well where they can come into our west parking lot stay down below, go out to the pool and do their thing and go right back out the door. And they really don't interact much with the other side, which is the east side of the building, um, you know, where the locals come in. They have the buffet, the poker, the book, you know, the beer bar and the slot machines. And the two don't collide very often. Uh, when they do collide, it's not a pleasant experience because they definitely <laughs> don't like each other. Uh, and we've, I think we've figured out how to manage around that, uh, you know, and keep that, that collision to a minimal, <laughs> a minimal <laughs> amount. Um, but, and, and I'm sure there are other properties that are, that are dealing with that, you know, on a day in a day out basis, but it is a big market and it's, it seems like a market that's still got some, some real, uh, some real zeal to it over time. You know, they have a huge amount of discretionary income. They have really no other responsibilities in life other than, than protecting, you know, their party image. And they invest in it, they invest in it quite heavily um, versus, you know, guy, guys like me. I, you know, invest heavily in my time with my kids and their education and their extracurricular activities and spend basically no time in the, in the day or night life. So, uh. <laughs> it's you know it's amazing so because um it's a you guests that stay at encore with part one of wind's properties are have been we've seen a, a pretty significant uptick in complaints about the the people that are frequenting their encore beach club and surrender but they're in their call yesterday they were talking about something like seven seventy three percent growth in f and b revenue from those two facilities so clearly it's a complicated balancing act for an operator that wants to get the most out of their asset, but also not piss off their customers. It is. And, you know, I can give you more of my, more of my experience from that would come from my days at the Rio, you know, when my father was really the first guy to put in a nightclub with club Rio was really the first major 
you know, nightclub inside of a hotel and everybody told him he was nuts. Uh, and, you know, we figured out how to make that work and how to program it appropriately where they didn't collide with that other consumer. Uh, and then, you know, when the dust settled at 4 a.m., how do you clean this place up and get it ready for the, you know, the seniors that are going to come back in at 6 for breakfast and start playing the slot machines? And it can be done. Um, it takes a lot of management. It takes a lot of finesse. And it's, it's, it, there's no, I don't think there's a set program that makes it work, but, there, you know, good operators can feel their way around that. Um, you know, and I, <clears throat> I think Wynn, excuse me, Wynn probably does the best job you know, he can do uh, in dealing with that, but that market's not one that can be ignored. It's a very high, high volume, high profit, no risk business. Mm -hmm. And it's a very significant contributor to his bottom line. Sure. And it's not, it's not a market he can walk away from. So you just got to kind of manage your way through those complaints and do the best you can with it. I'm curious, uh, are there other major vacation destinations that you think Las Vegas could learn from um uh, and how sort of how much time you and you think about that kind of thing you know i don't think about that much at all um i think las vegas pound for pound is the best destination you know city in the world period end of story you cannot find this type of product this type of entertainment this type of culinary and this type of just overall entertainment experience, especially at the prices that we're offering it at today. I think in the mid 2000s, I think we probably lost our way a little bit and things got a little too expensive in the price value that's always been in Las Vegas. That, that equation got out of whack. Uh, but right now, looking at what you can come do here for the price and the experience, I don't think that you can find a market that can beat it, that, that has all of the entertainment options that we have um, and the great culinary options, the nightlife, the day life, and all the things that you've brought up. I just don't think anybody can compete with that. And I've spent a lot of time, especially as a younger man all over the world, you know, doing the international marketing from Hong Kong to Singapore to Taiwan, uh, Malaysia, China, Italy, you know, Spain, France, you know, name it, uh, as well as locally. And I don't think that this, that you can compete with what we've got here. It's, 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 I mean, the only city that I think could even come close to rivaling this town is probably somewhere in Hong Kong, Macau, mm -hmm. you know, that, that energy level and that excitement, um, is the only place I think can even come close to this, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe in New York city, right. but you know, New York city, you know, New York city is going to be 10 times the price for the same experience of what you can get here. Right. So I think that we do it great. You know, I think we need to keep our buildings in shape and keep our, our product fresh. And I think it, over time that'll pay off for us in the long run. Um, I've got a couple more questions, but I know that, that uh, Dave, you had one, I think wanted to talk about Laughlin a little bit. Dave. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask Anthony a little bit about Laughlin and why he decided to get involved there and what he learned in that market. Well, I like that market a lot. You know, I, I got involved in there because I thought that their, you know, uh, MGM was wanting to sell sell those assets, and I saw, you know, some things I thought that could be done with those assets, and we did very well with those assets when we bought them. Um, you know, we bought them in June of 07, and, you know, a year later, uh, we had done 
dramatically better with those assets. We had improved their performance dramatically, and I think we had done a lot of good things with them. Um, it's it's a different market than Las Vegas. It's a different approach, uh, but we spent a lot of capital in, in refreshing those assets. You know, everything from new casino floor to uh, a lot of remodels, room remodels, and I've enjoyed I've enjoyed it down there. Uh, I like it down there, and I don't see any new major competition moving in down there. You know, the hardest parts down there are when gas prices go up or when, you know, when Caltrans starts messing with the highway and starts doing construction, you know, those things hurt. Um, when the gas prices are low and they leave the roads alone and it's easy to get there, you know, it's still, there's still a surprisingly a very big market for Laughlin and people like to come there. You know, and I think in May we showed major, major declines in revenue, but I think that was large in part due to the, the casino center drive was torn up from one end to the other. They basically turned it into a one-lane road. Um, so now that that's over, you know, we're seeing a lot better, a lot better results here at the end of summer. And you know, I, I like Laughlin. Um, I always have, and I and I hope that some of the energy projects and the solar panel things that they're working on. I know the the commissioner Sisolak and um, you know, some others are working on it. I hope that those hope those pan out because I think they'll be good for that that community. Anthony, if this is uh, Chuck, uh, I, I wanted you to, if you could put on your casino design hat for a moment. And I know you don't get out much, but I know you've gone out at least five times. Uh, and I'm wondering if you could possibly <laughs> give us a a sentence or two, maybe a haiku for each of the most recent developments, just your thoughts as walking through Encore, Aria, the greater city center complex, Cosmopolitan, and as a bonus round, uh, the Fontainebleau Shell and Echelon. Just your thoughts about these projects. Okay, so I don't have a long memory, Chuck, so let's start off with when and Encore, I think you said, or Encore? Yeah, just Encore. I figure, I think we all kind of know about, if you want to mash them together, that's fine. You know, I like Encore, but I like the original win better. Um, I think, you know, and I'm not going to criticize Steve at all because I think he is phenomenally good, if not the best, at what he does and what he creates. But I just, for some reason, I have a better feel in the original win than the Encore, but I still think Encore, you know, I mean, it's a beautiful hotel. Um, you had a better builder, right? <laughs> you know what? I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> but but I I do like the original wind design and I, and I like the encore design. I just there's something about the original wind that I think it, it's it's just right. There's something about the encore. I don't know if it's the reds or, you know, it's 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 there. It's nice, but it's just not the wind to me. Um the the city center or Aria if we could break it into two, Aria just as a contained property and then city center as a whole. I like Aria a lot as a contained property. Uh, you know, I think that they've made a lot of good little changes over there that, that, that have made that property a lot easier to flow through. Um, and I think they got that figured out as a whole. I still, um, I know a lot of the justifications for why they took the casino off the strip, but, you know, I'm not sure how, what they would comment on, but I think maybe moving that down to the strip may have been more productive as far as capturing the foot traffic because it's a long way yes. to get all the way into that. 
Um, and I, and I, I would have, I, I would have liked to have seen better access. I believe it's off of Dean Martin. You kind of have to swing around and come through that overpass instead of being able just to take a right turn right into the property. And I'm sure they had some access problems with, with the Clark County on, on how they were able to get into that. But, you know, all in all, I mean, it's, I think it's a beautiful hotel and I think they did a really good job. And I think now that they've opened that casino up instead of making it, it's little isolated pods. So you can really see through it. Uh, I think it's gotten a lot better, you know, and I think that development over time is going to get its legs and it's going to, it's going to do very well. I don't know if they'll ever make money or get the original money out of it, but I think they got it restructured, right and they got a lot of runway and I know it's getting better over there. And I think that that's, that's got nothing but upside in it over time. Uh, Cosmo, Cosmo to my surprise, I didn't think that a multi-level casino would work um, because many of them have not. Uh, I'm still not sure that that one's going to work. I think that they, they seem to, it seems to work well on the food and beverage and the nightlife and the retail side and the beverage side. Uh, I think as time comes on and they get those rooms, I think the rooms will do okay. I think that the convention space is hard for conventioneers going up and down, and it's a maze of corridors to easily get to and from. Uh, And it seems as if, which when I walk through there, I've seen the same thing that they've been reporting. There's just no gaming revenue. Uh, And, you know, I know what they're going through. They started from scratch with no database. Right. Uh, You know, and it's going to take a very, very long time to build that there. But I don't see that product um, without some things done to it over time for it to ever be attractive to what really makes these places go. And that's the slot machines. You know, if you don't have that core slot business, uh, it's very hard to get a base underneath you to operate facilities this big. Because right now, to me, it's just an oversized hard rock. That's a very (laughs) nice oversized hard rock. But... (laughs) But, but that's what it is. It's a hotel and it's a bar. And in order to get it going, it's going to take a long time like it did for us. You know, I'm not pointing my finger at them because we had the same problems. You know, building a convention base is going to be very difficult and building a slot base without a local component like we had with proximity to it. It takes a long time to build a customer base and then get repeat business from people who only come twice a year. It's a lot easier if you're a local place where they come every day. So it's going to take a little while on that one. Um, but all in all, when I walked in, I was surprised. I thought it was, I thought it was well done on a number of fronts, and I, and I liked the design. Um, what was the other one you asked me about? Was it uh, the, yeah, Fontainebleau? Yeah, the bon- bonus round would be Fontainebleau and Echelon. Well, I mean, I, I, starting with Echelon, you know, um, I think that they had the right idea and they had, you know, those guys are smart guys. They did a great job with Borgata and I think they were going to try to build, you know, Borgata in Las Vegas or some derivative of that. And they had put in charge, you know, with Bobby Bogner, who's very good at that. Um, Our family worked with them quite a bit on the Borgata. We were actually building the echelon, uh, you know, and unfortunately I think, you know, they may, or fortunately they made a great decision by shutting that project down because if they didn't, they would have gone through the same things the rest of us went through. Um, cause there was just no money left to finish it and they would have run themselves out of money. So it's as sad of a site as it is. And to see that sitting there, uh, you know, they saved that company and I think they, they got to be commended for making that decision when they did. Um, but unfortunately, I don't think we'll see that thing start 
for a very long time. And the, on the Fontainebleau, I don't know. I, 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 it's still a question. It's been a question mark since day one. It's still a question mark. Um, I think the location is, is suspect. Um, it was a lot of stuff like the Cosmo stacked on to a very small place. I don't have any idea what it looks like. I've never been inside it or what, what it was supposed to look like. And I still don't understand why Carl Icahn bought it. Um, you know, he's, I guess he's a lot smarter guy than I am, but I'm not really <laughs> sure what he, what he was thinking with it and what they're eventually going to do with it. Um, Penn had, Penn had so. some bids in there too. Penn, Penn was fighting in there too. So maybe you can ask Peter. <laughs> I've, I, I've talked to Peter about it and, and I think that Peter Carlino made a very intelligent decision. Yeah. yeah. And I think that he knows now that he made a, you know, he is a very disciplined businessman who has a lot of, uh, he has a lot of smarts to him and a lot of wisdom to him. And I think he, he made a very, very smart decision. So I, I don't know what, I don't know what, uh, icon has planned for that building, uh, in this economy. Uh, I know it's going to, it's going to cost a fortune to, to finish it. And in looking at the EBITDA numbers from many of the established, much more well-located, Las Vegas strip facilities, even in spending the money just to finish it, you still couldn't even come close to achieving the EBITDAs you'd need to have any type of return. All right. You've been very generous with your time. I have two more questions that I'm hoping we can get in quickly. Sure. Um, One is actually a question I got from a listener, which was, if you are advising someone that wanted to get into the industry, like say a college educated person that was recently out of college, where would you recommend they start? Well, I don't know. I always try to advise young people who are looking to get into anything that, you know, I see a lot of young people just trying to get into things to get into things. And it doesn't seem like they have a really a heart or a passion for what they do. It just seems like they're looking for a job. Mm-hmm. And I try to, I try to advise them on, you know, what do you have an interest in? What really floats your boat? I mean, do you like being a hotel operator? Do you like the gaming side? You know, does the gaming excite you? What excites you? Cause I think you gotta, regardless of what you do, you still gotta have some, you know, internal drive to get out of bed every day and want to go do that and get better at it. And, and have, you know, set goals for yourself and, and learn and uh, try to grow your career instead of just, you know, having a job. Cause if you're just having a job over, over time and that's important, don't get me wrong, but over time, those usually flame out pretty quick. Um, so that, you know, in, in saying that going forward, I've advised a lot of young people that have asked me about this town and this market. It's very hard to get into this town right now. And if I would, if I was young and didn't have any responsibilities to a family, but had an education or had some sort of hospitality acumen, I'd be looking to go someplace overseas. Yeah. I'd be looking at Singapore. I'd be looking at another market to go get my hotel experience under my belt, uh, and find a, you know, find a, a, a place to go do that. Um, potentially try to learn another language and grow my career that way. And then look at this town at another point in the future, you know, but in saying that there is still a lot of turnover in this town. There are a lot of people that are making decisions to leave and there are, are, there are positions that are, that are opening up. 
So the, the, I wouldn't say the opportunity is gone here. It's just a matter of, of finding the right fit and then something that, you know, fits for you and fits for the employer and then, and then really trying to go make the most of it. Fair enough. Um, I wanted to end with a topical question. You know, Terry Lonnie passed away last week. And yeah. I know that you knew him. He, the company invested in your projects when he was still at the helm. He, in past interviews, had a lot of nice things to say about you. Uh, I was just wondering if you could offer a few words about what he was like and um, what we're all going to be missing now that he's gone. Well, I've known Terry for a long, long time. Um, I knew Terry Lanny probably when I was three or four years old when my dad was helping build Caesars Atlantic City when Terry was a CFO back there. Uh, you know, he was a he was the absolute professional. Um, I mean, if there was ever the definition of a pro, uh, I think it would be Terry Lanny. Uh, he was a great businessman. He was straightforward and direct. Um, he was always to the point. And uh, I always had unbelievably good interactions with him. And, you know, I think he was a great leader. Uh, He was was a great face for, obviously, the companies that he represented. But I also think he was a great representative for the state of Nevada and the city of Las Vegas. And, you know, he was always trying to push push the the ball forward, you know, for the greater good of, of the southern Nevada community. And I think we're gonna, you know, we're gonna miss that. I think, of course, there's obviously leaders that have stepped into that now since his departure from the industry. Uh, but he was, you know, he was a, a face uh, and a brand unto himself, and he had a very long, successful career in doing very successful things for the gaming business. And you know, I think he's gonna be missed, uh, missed big time. So I know I certainly miss him, and I enjoyed my interactions with him. I, w- I can't say I've spent a tremendous amount of time with him to really learn from him, um, but just his presence was something to learn from. You know, the way he carried himself and how he approached people uh, and just his general acumen was was one that's, that's uh, one I haven't seen. There's no replica for Terry. There's no doubt about it. He was He was unique. Excellent. Well, again, thank you very much for taking the time with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank um, you, Anthony. Yes, thank My you. My pleasure, guys, and thank uh, you for thank having you. me. Wow, that was a great interview. Um, let's go ahead and do our uh, Sure Bet segment. Where This is a segment where we get to tell you about something that uh, we think you might enjoy. It doesn't have to be casino-related, though it certainly can be. Um, we'll just go around the table and, uh, and see what you guys got. Um, Jeff, do you got something for us today? Sure. Uh, I wanted to... Um make a sure bet recommendation for um, I think that um, Terry Lanny's uh, death this last week really really showed a couple things um, about the uh, the media in Las Vegas and 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 I think that you it, it's tough for me to make a recommendation based on um, someone who passed away, but but what I would say is that the whether it's um, Chuck's website, whether it's Hunter's website, I think that almost definitively um, we've seen a change, a changing of the guard here in this town, and I think that for people who follow our podcast, people who read 
um, the the websites that Dave and Chuck and Hunter and I contribute to. Um, I I think that you you almost are better off reading those websites than just paying attention to the traditional media, and and so. I, I, it pains me to say this because I spent so long in traditional media, but I think that, you know, we've really reached a tipping point in Las Vegas. And I think that, you know, the better informed people um, are those who are paying attention to what's going on online. I'm not saying you don't need to read the traditional media, but I think that for the, there's many who don't read new media, and those people are missing out. And I really felt like this past week really demonstrated to me um, just just how out of date so much of the uh, the old media was. So um, this isn't really like a, a, you know a great thing. I'm not. I'm saying the sure bet is make sure you read the new media and read it all. And for people who are who only read it sporadically, you know, change some of your time usage and. Uh, and, and and read as much as you can. You mean uh, new media in nine easy clicks? <laughs> Slideshow format. <laughs> um, Chuck, I'll go to you next. Wow, you know, I just got to say thanks, Jeff. You know, that really means a lot to uh, as as a knucklehead who who has spent a long time banging his head against the wall. You know, to hear praise like that from a respected. Uh, guy, I've been reading your writing, you know, and you taught me, you know, about the gaming business when I was first learning it. So to hear you give that praise back, it it touches me deepest to to my underpants. Um, well, thank you. Thank yeah. You. Now, uh, in terms of my sure bet, I'm going to say that uh, I'm going to give this one to the M Resort. Uh, and partially because, you know, Anthony was a pretty cool guest, you know. I think it, you should go down there and check the place out if you have not. It is definitely worth your time to visit and even more your time to stay. You want to spend a night away from from uh, all the hubbub. If you're sick of the douchebags, you're sick of the insanity, and you kind of want to go somewhere, be in Vegas, but not be in the middle of craziness and just have a nice relaxing kind of time, definitely go check out the M. Yeah, I think he could actually like build a whole business on like no nightclubbers allowed. <laughs> I mean that that's like I think a whole potential market segment that is uh is ready and eager to have a place to call home. Douchebags use the back door. <laughs> um Dr. Dave, do you have something for us? Yeah, I actually do have something this week. I got an invite through Cloud to sign up for the Spotify service thing whatever it is. Basically, it's streaming music. They've got a huge catalog including some of the semi-obscure jazz stuff that I like, not quite enough, but they've got enough of it that I really like that I've been using it a lot. I've signed up for the premium service, which is 10 bucks a month, which gives you no advertisements, which is really good because the ads are really annoying me. And also you get to stream it over your mobile device. Right. So it's called Spotify. It's pretty cool. I'm just seeing how it goes, and uh, hopefully I'll be sticking with it. Yeah. It's just great to have this these things. You know, you have them by the album. Right. So, Instead of just going on YouTube and trying to right. look for whatever's there, you can listen to stuff by the album, and it seems to be working out pretty well so far. Yeah, people were pretty excited about Spotify launching here in the U.S. It's been available in Europe for a long time. 
uh, and they finally got all their licensing worked out and launched here, and I know people are pretty into it. So, yeah, definitely, if you're a music lover, um, I think it's definitely something worth taking a look at. Um, I'm going to um, pick something that is... I almost kind of think of it as like halfway between new media and old media. And it's it's a show on, on PBS in Vegas called Nevada Week in Review. I mean, in some ways, it's very old media in that they, the guests are oftentimes sourced from uh, local newspapers and TV stations. But it seems in some ways somewhat more independent than and, and deep and deep diving than what we see on uh, in some of the newspapers recently. Jeff, you know, you've been a guest many times. I know um, – uh, listeners may that know Steve Fries. He's been a guest, and a lot of other folks. I like to watch the show. They have it as a podcast that you can get um, through iTunes. And in in some you know in, in some ways, it's a little bit. It was a little bit of the inspiration for this show, as far as just a roundtable kind of setup where you could talk about stuff that is just interesting to folks that like to geek out on this. And they cover stuff that is way beyond gaming. I mean, politics and. Uh, local issues like schools and, and that sort of thing, but um, it's one of the shows that I like to watch every week. And uh, if you're um, as addicted as I know many of you are, you might want to check it out. So you can find it on iTunes. You can also, I'm sure, just do a Google search and find Nevada Week in Review. Um, and uh, yeah, give it a look if you haven't already. Um, all right, that's it for today. Uh, thanks to everybody for being here. Let me go around the table one more time, and you can tell people where they can find you. Um, Dr. Dave, I'll start with you. Where can people track you down? DGSchwartz.com. Excellent. Mr. Chuck Monster, where can people find you? People can find me by searching for Chuck Monster on Google+. Excellent, yes. Uh, we, ne- <laughs> we never did a Google+, Plus as a sure bet, but you know, people can check out Google+, Plus too, if they're, if they're interested in something else that's new and shiny. Um, Mr. Jeff Simpson, where can people find you? On Twitter at Simpson Las Vegas and on Hunter's Two Way Hard Three blog on RateVegas.com. Indeed, you can find me at RateVegas.com. Um, thanks, guys. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Take care, guys. Cheers.